Hi, this is Shelley Wrench uh, sitting with Dr. Nash Gabriel from the Gabriel Cancer Center uh, with another episode of Good Medicine is Cheaper Medicine. And um, this episode, when we were talking about topics that we wanted to discuss, um, a lot of times when we're talking about different subjects, what do we do? Especially I do. I might Google something or look on Wikipedia. And as we were talking about hitting personalized medicine, that's kind of what I did. And it was interesting to note that the Wikipedia definition of personalized medicine is a medical procedure that separates patients into different groups with medical decisions, practices, interventions, and or products being tailored to the individual patient based on their predicted response of risk of disease. So, uh, so the topic today is personalized medicine, right? And what do you think it is? Well, I, I think... Um, I don't want to label advances we're doing in medicine as personalized medicine, although the convention was limited. So what the current definition is, is that now we are coming up with the drugs that fit patients uniquely. In fact, the word patient is wrong. It fits the cancer uniquely. So when we test, when you say, let's say a patient has lung cancer and we want to use, um, let's say, one of those TKIs, we call them. TKIs will only work on lung cancer patients whose tumor cells harbor a specific gene mutation. We call the EGFR. It is not the patient who has that gene. It is the cancer cell. That's one of the reasons I have uh, hesitation to use the word personalized. Of course, the other reason is more obvious, and that is historically and ethically, and speak of ethically, probably we'll have another episode about what do we mean by medical ethics, but ethically also. Personalized medicine is our struggle and strive to treat every single patient Personally, as a person, as a human being, as a unique individual that is dissimilar from anybody else in the world, that has specific needs, that has specific body structure, that has specific body language, and then of of course it happens, that has a specific disease. That's, in my opinion, personalized medicine. Why are we talking about this? Because, two reasons, number one, I think the word uh, personalized medicine that I prefer that we reserve it to the definition I am giving that has been kind of hijacked by the technology gurus. And actually, they mislabeled it, as I said. Unfortunately, you know, the gurus are picking it up and kind of changing the, the, the meaning of it. What's really sad is what we see on a daily basis from payers. Payers are actually now buying into this and mandating that with specific medications that we want to prescribe, that they're kind of taking that off of you, making your decision, and they're saying, oh, but it has to fall into, you know, this inhibitor, that inhibitor. and Shelly, you're just opening the Pandora box, a real bag of worms when it comes to... um, to the payers, meaning insurance companies, 
using uh, this uh, paradigm or this, uh, uh, what do you call it, this uh, vogue to their advantage, of course. So they are saying um, it's true, the example of lung cancer. <clears throat> if the lung cancer does not uh, express or doesn't have the EGFR mutation, uh, probably it will be a waste of time and money to give one of those TKIs, we call them. That's tyrosine kinase inhibitors. But that's only one unique example. When you look, for instance, at immunotherapy, when there is definitely more response if the cancer expresses PDL1. And the keyword I used was more response, which means even those who are PDL1 negative, they do respond but less. But aren't they taking the responses as a total population in the trial? And maybe it, some there, are there variations of responses within that trial? Or is it if you don't have this expression, you definitely will not benefit? <coughs> yes. Um, very good question. I I think, speaking of the word hijacking, I think we uh, clinicians, and especially those of us who are clinicians and scientists, have allowed statisticians to hijack the profession and the decision-making. So, uh, as you mentioned, the statisticians will tell you, okay, if you give this drug to this uh, to hundred of these patients, 50 of them maybe will respond, or 20 of them will respond, and, and unfortunately, um, some of us clinicians, when we talk to the patients, that's the, the statistics that, that we quote, right? Again, these are the, I think, I think the, whole, the whole system of medicine and science is, is adjusting and learning more, um, as knowledge accumulates, we're adjusting to to to, to navigate through all these discoveries. Um, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, about three years ago, uh, Dr. Vincent DeVita, he is the founder of of modern oncology. He was the head of the National Cancer Institute, and also he became the head of oncology. He's a guy I admired. His book, Principles and Practice of Oncology, is basically the Bible for us, believe it or not. The book is about 1,400 pages. I read it about three times during my training. I still read that book. So, Dr. Vita, maybe uh, we're coming close to the uh, end of the first segment before a commercial, but next segment I'll tell you what Dr. DeVita thinks about all the stuff we talk about, and it would be stupid not to listen to Vincent DeVita. Um, so, speaking of personalized medicine, what do you think about um, personalized pharmacies, like Liberty Pharmacy, for instance, right? You look now, again, the chain pharmacies, Most a lot of patients complain that they just go there and they are just another number. Uh, they go there. And they have to wait. And they have to wait. And expected to buy milk and eggs and, and everything while they're waiting. And, and, and expected to buy milk and, and all that stuff. Again, I think part of the... Um, 
part of the touch of medicine, the, the, that personal gentle touch is kind of uh, dissipating uh, or, or, or almost disappearing with these um, um, big conglomerates. So, Liberty Pharmacy, uh, located on Higby Avenue in Belden Village, is a, a unique pharmacy. It's not part of a chain, and it treats patients as real personalized medicine, meaning you are this unique human being, and I will treat you and respect you that way. Exactly, and, and personalized, especially in, in the pharmacy, most retail pharmacies, you take your script and they fill it as exact, where we have clinicians and providers that say, you know, um, there might be something um, lower cost alternatives or we get patient assistance to help pay for it. We're well beyond what a retail pharmacy does. That's a great point. The patient assistance, when you go to the big, big, big conglomerate retails, yeah, you're just another customer. But when you are a small entity and we have staff who are dedicated. Caring. And caring that they know when the out-of-pocket is $150, they got to do something to get, explore all avenues, right, to find an assistance because two, $300 to some people are big, big, big deal in, in one month or one day. So anyway, um, next session, next session we will, so we'll finish with this next, next session, we'll talk about Dr. DeVita. Okay. Is that fair? Yep. So Vincent DeVita, as I mentioned, actually he's fighting prostate cancer. Now, I read his book. Uh, not the textbook, the textbook I read several times, but his book called Death of Cancer. And he talks about, this is the guy who actually discovered that when you give several chemotherapy drugs together, you can cure cancers. And guess what? Since those discoveries, we start curing Hodgkin disease, we start curing uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, we start curing testicular cancer, believe it or not, Stage four testicular cancer, we cure about 70 or 80% of those patients. So, when somebody like him says something, I better listen. And we better take notice. In his book, he says, the pitfalls we have in the system are, you're talking about personalized medicine or, or using medication based on the persona of the cancer cells, not the persona of the patient. Right? Uh, and he said, it's unfortunate these days that the FDA, when they approve a drug, they will say, the FDA mandate is, this drug is approved only for disease like breast cancer, but patients must have received the following drugs before that, otherwise it's a no-no. Now, Shelley, give me examples of the nightmares and headaches you go through when I want to order some treatments for patients. You know, I was just thinking of one patient talking about personalized. Um, a patient two years ago on my birthday um, was diagnosed with lung cancer. She had been getting um, treatments, other treatments before that, but not for cancer. And she used to be my neighbor growing up. And I remember she was diagnosed, like I said, on November 5th. And she said, you want to put her on one of these uh, targeted therapies. And she had not yet been tested for that and she came to me on her way out and she said, well, I just, I worry about starting the therapy before Thanksgiving because I'm having everybody come for Thanksgiving. Right. And I had done, you know, I do a lot of consultations and interviews with pharma companies and I had done uh, one study, it took about a month to go through for a laboratory 
and they had me go through the steps and processes of um, getting these these uh, these specimens um, tested for these um, markers. The markers, right? Thank Genetic you. markers. Yes, and the average time from the time that you say go to have this tested until we get the results is 27 days. I know. That's the average. And so I told her, don't worry, you probably won't be approved before Thanksgiving anyways. Ended up, we were pushing Christmas until we got that result. So in the meantime, there's this poor patient just diagnosed with lung cancer. I know if cancer's in my body, I don't want to sit there for six, seven weeks and letting it grow. Give me something, you know, and it's not fair that the insurance companies, the payers are mandating, oh, well, you can't give that until we have these markers. Well, you have a hunch that this may work. Maybe give some kind of dosing ahead of time and some type of allowance. That is what Dr. DeVita in his book, The Death of Cancer, which is a really good book, um, his concern is when the FDA is putting these mandates and these restrictions, of course, God bless the government, they are so good at putting mandates and restrictions on rules and regulations that can choke everybody else. And a good example is exactly what the FDA does. Although, of course, I, I am, by name, a consultant to the FDA. I hope people like me will make a, will make a difference because the, the insurance industry, they love this. Why? Because when the FDA, because the insurance companies say, the FDA says you can only give this drug after you get A, B, C, D. And they will require you send them copies of the patient's chart. God forbid, if the patient had not qualified with all those things, done, they will deny it. Because what they say, we go by the guidelines. Which is another, um, another subject maybe we should keep in mind for the future. The guidelines. I call it the cookbook medicine. Uh, payers, meaning insurance companies, Love that. Uh, unfortunately, even the medical establishment is falling into a ball. We'll talk about guidelines in the future because now we're talking about this issue of personalized medicine and how we, when you, when you propagate this idea and when you glorify it and put a halo around it, um, you really make it sound as great. But in, as a matter of fact, there are some pitfalls. And there are some problems with it, especially that the icon, I mean, 300 years from now, when people will talk about the history of cancer evolution, meaning the practice of cancer treatment, Dr. DeVita's name will shine as number one. He's a brilliant guy. And you read his book and he's saying enough is enough. He's saying the FDA should say, we approve uh, drug X for ovarian cancer. Stop it there. And the clinician, us, should have the right to decide based on the knowledge acquired from the clinical trials on that drug whether I can use that drug as the first thing in ovarian cancer or as a second or as a third. I'll give you an example. There's a group of drugs we use for ovarian cancer called um, PARP inhibitors. Um, do you think it's time for another commercial before we go into this? I think we should. Okay. Um, 
back to the Liberty Pharmacy, right? Again, we call it Liberty Pharmacy because it respects the liberty of people to choose where they go. We do realize that some uh, some insurances demand that you go to pharmacy A, B, and C rather than D. But I think we can help a lot of those patients. Liberty Pharmacy is there to help the, the patients who want to make a choice, quick service, immediate service, personalized service, and more importantly, Liberty Pharmacy cares about the pocket of the patients. And they have available most of the drugs that are needed. If they don't have drug available, a rare drug, almost guaranteed next day delivery, next day, next day delivery, as long as the weather permits. Liberty Pharmacy on Higby Avenue on Ashur Court, that's in Belden Village. Back to Dr. DeVita. You know, the one thing that crossed my mind of another challenge that we have with um, having to prove that a patient has gone through steps to get to that personalized or um, medication that is only for that, uh, that type of Target, targeted therapy. Yes. When a patient has been seen somewhere else, that is a challenge. We just went through this this week. Um, patient had already had some therapy at another site, and in order for us to get the prior authorization from the payer, they mandate that this patient had been on two other drugs. Unfortunately, there's a lot of a lot of practices that are not up to speed yet with digital technology and having electronic medical records. So to to get and dig through all these these charts, number one to get them, number two when we finally get them, you have to dig through this onerous, massive amount of of papers to find out where in those tiny little lines do we find those two drugs specifically. And so you end up asking the patient, but then the payer still wants proof. It, it's, it's another delay for these therapies. And, and, and Shelley, you're bringing a very, very good point. <clears throat> um, the payers, insurance companies, their main, their main objective is how can I deny payment or how can I deny services? The dichotomy of all this is that the, the, the employer who pays for the insurance. They pay, they pay big money. They do that because they want their employees to be well taken care of. And yet, when they delegate the insurance to do that work, what's the insurance object number one? How can I restrict access? How can I delay treatment? These guys, they do math. If they delay treatment of cancer by one month, they think that they will cut costs by 10% or 5%, whatever it is. Problem with that one is, that was not the objective of the employer who bought that. You just opened a whole new can of worms that I think would be best served in a whole nother episode because, because I have I have a separate idea that kind of contradicts what you're saying about what payers want to do meaning that you know they 
they actually are able to keep a percentage of their payout. So it's not that they want to deny services. They just need a pulse on what's going to be spent so they know what to charge the premiums. So the premiums. So so I think there's two sides. I I don't know all their... They they want the prediction. They want the prediction. But during the process, I think a lot of the pre-authorization, a lot of the STEPS program where, for the audience, the STEP program means... A patient have to, must have received treatment A, B, C before you can give them a treatment D, right? I think these are all steps to minimize cost. What I am thinking about, maybe we will have a special program about this problem. The, 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 employer, the employers, they care about their, their employees. They want them healthy. They want them to be, to be fit. They, they want them not to spend any time in doctor's office or in the hospital sick. They want them to continue to work. They re- actually want what's truly personalized medicine in our world. Yes. They want patients to be taken care of as a patient, not as a number. They want patients to get the best health care at the lowest cost. Everybody's going that direction. Everybody hates and to we say, have Do you remember when you wrote the book, Good Medicine is Cheaper Medicine? Everybody laughed at you like... How could how could good medicine be cheaper? And now this is that was ten years ago, and so, now we're all going right. towards that direction: personalized medicine at a lower cost. Personalized, exactly, and that's what we are doing with the with the onsite clinics, ECS, where the whole idea of the of the good medicine, cheaper medicine, is that we are wasting a lot of money in stuff that is not only redundant and wasting money; it actually hurts patients. But because payers and everybody wants to contain cost, then they apply the cost containment philosophy on all the aspects. My whole theory, and now there is strong evidence for it, is if we are able, and we are, we are able to identify where are the areas, the testing, this hospitalization, the ER visits, it's unnecessary medication. With good medicine, you can eliminate those things, those services that actually not only cost money, but actually hurt patients. And if we eliminate that, there will be more than enough money that the doctors will be more free to order the medication they want, to, dis, to, to prescribe the medication they want to their patients, rather than be handcuffed by Sometimes a high school graduate who probably is in another country, and I have to be careful about the language here because some people can get upset, right? It can be somebody in another country hardly speak. They just go by. They just go by the algorithm. They're there. Explain. Answer. Explain what the algorithm is to the audience. Yeah. So, so to, to to in order to get a prioritization for sometimes for well, with patients who are not on U.S. soil. Um, even those who are on U.S. soil, they, they, they go from question one to, and, and depending on how you answer that question, yes, no, then it goes into the next question. And they don't understand. Half the time they can't even pronounce the most basic words, let alone medical terminology. So you know they have no idea what you're trying to get across to them. So for them sitting there approving and, and trying to approve a therapy – and they, 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 they really don't even, they don't even understand what they're doing. And th- yet that patient's life 
is based upon this person's decision. And they call it personalized medicine. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It is hijacking a beautiful word that has totally different meaning, right? But they call personalized medicine, and, and this is what you get. Can you imagine... You go to grade school, high school, and then to college for four years, and then medical school for four years, and then three years internal medicine training, and then three years of oncology training, and then... Your hands are tied. You think <laughs> with your... And some years of experience, and then you, you, you sit down with the patient, and you think that the best therapy for this patient is A or B, but you have somebody who's sitting in um, um, a country that's really not as advanced as we are, Right? Heavy accent goes by algorithm that has been printed for him or her. The patient do this, did the patient do this, did the patient do that, did the patient do, and, and then at the end she will say no or say yes. How 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 corrupt is this system? And when you talk to those insurance companies, well we go by the guidelines. We believe in personalized medicine. And unfortunately, the FDA has not been very helpful. Again, you read the book by Dr. DeVita. And, and, and it's an eye-opener because I thought I, I was always outlier in my thought about this. Until I read his book, I said, whoa, somebody agrees with me. And guess what? That somebody is really a well, well-known oncologist. So speaking of personalized medicine, I think I can claim that at our cancer center, Gabriel Cancer Center, we have, can you explain how we actually have applied personalized medicine in the real definition, not? It starts from the first phone call. When the patient calls in, right away we're calling the, the, the patient by their name. We're getting all their information and, and continually making them feel warm and welcome. When they check into the front desk for the first time, you know, Jasmine already knows who's coming and, and, and calls them by their, their first name. All of our staff are, are accepting. And I already I have received an email the night before that there is a patient XYZ coming here. I'm importing notes. Already I have a chance at night, maybe over, uh, over a cigar, review, review, review the notes. So when you come next day, go ahead. Yeah, and once, once they get to the lab, they're, they're treated as a person. Why do we do that? Because patients love it, and, and, and the people who we have on staff can't do otherwise. They, we, you know, those, those that don't really truly care for patients, they don't, they don't last it at our center. This is one of the comments we get when, uh, when people transfer our care from, from bigger institutions. It's always, almost always a recurring theme. Finally, uh, this is a recurring theme. They, they always say, finally... I go to a place where I'm treated as a unique person. Person. That's where the word personalized medicine is getting a meaning for me. I think that's the end of this program today, isn't it? I think so. Okay, perfect. Perfect.